You're listening to sermons from St. Macarios the Great, Orthodox Mission in Hyde Park. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Christos Anesti. Christos Voskresi. I want to focus this morning on the question our Lord asked this paralyzed man who was lying by the pool of Bethesda. In particular, I want to focus on this man's reply. Because I was struck by a different angle on this story this week. This man, a poor man, a sick man, crippled for 38 years, was laying by the pool of Bethesda. And it was a place where healing happened. It was a place where people who were in need would go to seek healing from God. And as we hear in the fourth verse of John chapter 5, every so often an angel would descend on the waters of the pool of Bethesda and stir them up. And whoever was the first person into the pool when it was stirred up would be healed. So this man was lying by the pool where healing happens. And he was sick there for almost four decades. Now the text does not make clear for us exactly how long he was laying there, but we can imagine it was for some time. And what should happen? Our Lord approaches this man and asks him the simple question, do you want to be healed. Now typically, I've read this question as sort of odd. You would think the reply would be obvious, but I think our Lord asked this question because He wants us to see deeper into the situation. This paralyzed man has been here at the place of healing for some time now, and yet he remains ill. So what is the explanation? How can a person come to a place of healing and yet languish there unwell for so long? Does he not want to be healed? Perhaps our Lord is asking this question to draw out a deeper analysis of the situation. By asking this question, he's allowing this man to uncover the truth of his situation. Because the paralytic's answer is quite telling. In fact, the paralytic's answer helps to unfold the entirety of this story. The man replied very politely, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am on my way, someone else goes down there before me. So this man's reply offers a powerful insight that unmasks the reality of this situation. Sir, I have 
No one. I want you to listen to what the great priest and theologian Father Alexander Schmemann says of this man's answer. He says, quote, This truly is the cry of someone who has come to know the terrible power of human selfishness and narcissism. Every man for himself, looking out for number one. End quote. So all those poor people waiting at the pool of Bethesda for the water to be stirred were waiting for divine help, but they were waiting, each and every one of them, by themselves and for themselves. You could say, in a certain sense, that the pool of Bethesda was a cruel place. Sure, it was a place of healing, a place of grace, but it was also a place of fierce competition, a place of egoism and selfishness. At the pool of Bethesda, everyone was looking out for number one. So really what we have in this story, specifically in this pool of Bethesda, is an image of the world. We live in a world overcome by the power of egoism, selfishness, and narcissism. A world driven by the idolatry of the self. St. Paul captures this reality well when he says of those who serve the flesh that, quote, their God is their belly, end quote. And by belly, he does not mean solely in relation to food, but rather to individual desire. Their God is their own individual desire. And worship of false gods, worship of idols, always brings pain and suffering and death. And it's not that those who were at the pool desiring to be well were wrong in their desire, but rather that their desires were perverted and turned solely inward so that the man at the pool, poor and weak, suffering for 38 years, could say, I have no one. And even a brief glance at our world, we can see that there are many people who could echo this cry of this poor man, I have no one. And the truly, the truly tragic reality is that we have become numb to this cry. All too easily we begin to accept the horrors created by this all-consuming ego that drives suffering and injustice, hatred and violence, bloodshed and indifference, we accept it as normal. This is just the way things are. This is the natural state of affairs. We use this logic to rationalize away service to our own desires. This is the way the world works. This is the way the game is played. If you want to do well, you have to play by its rules. 
This is the true sickness that is presented in this story. All those at the pool of Bethesda were sick with narcissism. But the gospel tells us that this state of affairs is, in fact, not natural. This is not, in fact, how God created us to be in the beginning. This is not the world God created. God did not create us for egoism, for selfishness, and narcissism. These realities reflect the world perverted and stained by sin. And this narcissism is an utter fall away from the reality God has created us for. So I want to take you back to the story of the creation found in Genesis chapter 2. In the second of the great tellings of the creation account, the focus, you will note, is more intimate and God is more hands-on. And while the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 focused on everything being good, when we come to the human being in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we hear a slightly different story. God says, as one translation has it, it is not good for the human being to be alone. I shall make a helper suited to him. Now it's important again to remember what's happening here. We have the human being, the Adam, the earthling who was taken from the ground, Adamah, and formed and filled with the breath of God. And yet, God recognized that this initial singularity of humanity was not good. Up until this moment, the creation, as we have said, was described as good, 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 even very good. But now we have the first recognition of not good. The human being all alone. So God decided to create a helper, another human being, a helper suited for him, as the translation we just read says. And this is not a terrible translation, although I think we can do a bit better to unpack what is really going on in this creation story. This phrase, a helper suited for him, is really important. It's only two words in Hebrew. Ezer konegdo in Hebrew. Just two words. Ezer, which literally means helper. God, in fact, is called Ezer throughout the scriptures in numerous places. And this other word, Konegdo. It literally means like its opposite. The first part, the ke, means like or as. And negdo comes from the Hebrew verb nagad, which means to be in front of. So what God is actually saying in this verse is that he will make for this initial singularity this initial single be human being who is alone, 
someone else, another human being who will stand as its opposite, who will stand face to face with the Adam as a helper. And this idea of a helper is not in any way subservient, but rather the idea is a helper as in a dialogue partner. One who stands face to face as an equal with the human being. So out of this initial singularity which God said was not good comes forth a plurality. A couple, a pair, even a family we might say. For God never intended humanity to remain isolated and alone. He intended us not to be individuals but to exist as persons in community. He created us to stand face to face with one another as dialogue partners. He created us as relational beings. But even this, even this standing face to face, subject to subject, as I and thou, as the great philosopher Martin Buber said, is not the end of the Christian story. For God created us not only for community and communion of persons, but also for a communion with Him. He created us that we might be swept along into the communion of the Holy Trinity, that we might, be, that we might become partakers of the divine nature, that we might be joined in a unity of persons in the Blessed Trinity. So what this means is that egoism, selfishness, narcissism that we saw in this story of the healing of the paralytic are really some of the most tragic sins because they are the antithesis of life with God. This self-centeredness is truly what St. Paul would call walking according to the flesh. It's a refusal to serve Christ as Lord because we serve the God of our own interests. This confinement within the self is a denial of others and of God. It's a rejection of love as what ultimately gives meaning to human existence. It therefore signifies death, to quote the great theologian Gustavo Gutierrez. But even if this is the reality of life for many in our world, it is not the reality that God calls us to. It is not the reality He calls His church to. Rather, we are called to live our lives according to the Spirit. We are called in the words of St. Paul in Romans chapter 8 to set our mind on the Spirit. For he says, quote, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, for the spirit is life. The very presence of God within us is the source of this life. So we can say 
in fact, that human life for us unfolds with an option. An option for life or an option for death. As Deuteronomy says, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. Choose life. Or again, to quote Gustavo Gutierrez, to walk according to the Spirit is to reject death, selfishness, contempt for others, covetousness, idolatry, and choose life, love, peace, and justice. To renounce the flesh and live according to the Spirit is to be at the service of God and others." End quote. This is the life we are called to as Christians, the rejection of this egoism, selfishness, and narcissism with its death-dealing power, and to embrace the life of the Spirit which produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we have to make this decision every day to live according to the Spirit. Or perhaps better yet, we would say, we need to make this decision in every moment to live in the grace and life of the Spirit of God. Because we all know how easy it is. We all know how easy it is to find ourselves slipping back into the way of death. This is inevitable. This is the reality of our life in this world where we face constant temptation. But we can realize or we can see that when we become aware that we have chosen the death-dealing power of selfishness and ego, that can actually be a moment of grace. To know yourself is a greater miracle than to raise the dead, said one of the saints. When we realize we have fallen back into life according to the flesh with its death-dealing power, that is a moment where Christ is calling us back. He's saying once again, Choose life, choose love, choose peace, choose justice. Give yourself back to the power of the spirit of life. Live not for yourself alone, but for others. So that we who follow Christ can answer the cry of those who would say, like the paralytic, I have no one. That we might answer, I am here, you have me. That we might be the presence of Christ to one another. And so, in this, fulfill the law of love. Amen. Christ is risen. Truly,